Morning. This week we have the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Uh, it's recorded in all four Gospels. They're mostly the same. There's slight differences. Uh, some of the authors emphasize one aspect or add details and another one doesn't. But for the most part, the four Gospels um, tell us just about the same uh, account uh, with a few few details here and there. Uh, in Luke, the the account starts in Luke chapter nineteen, but already in Luke ten chapters earlier, Luke nine chapter or Luke chapter nine verse fifty one, uh, it's almost ten chapters earlier. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. We read, and so uh, Luke makes a note of the time when Jesus began his journey up to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going there to die. And of course, uh, the story of Zacchaeus that we had last week happened uh, just about a week before this. Uh, so Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to die for this for sinners. And, and there, of course, he met uh, that sinner, Zacchaeus, uh, had mercy on him and even tells the Pharisees, why did he go to eat with him? Because this is why I came, he says. You know, he's on his way to Jerusalem to, to die for sinners. And here, Zacchaeus is a sinner that he, he takes time to, to eat with. Uh, to bring salvation also to his house. So we continue now. The, this is after, of course, the, the raising of Lazarus, Lazarus, which I think we had last year. Uh, that's in a different series. I, I'm not really sure why. Uh, the, the raising of Lazarus is, is very key to the whole Jesus' whole journey towards Jerusalem. In, in many, many ways, it's the, the beginning of the story of his crucifixion because it's that raising of Lazarus that brings out the crowd uh, for Palm Sunday, and also that really angers the Pharisees and, and really turns them against him to the point where they're they're ready to crucify him. In fact, in the story of the raising of Lazarus, they they say that straight out, um, and we need to we need to get rid of him because he's doing these great works. So the story of Lazarus is, of course, very very key to kind of the the beginning of events that leads up to to Christ's crucifixion. But we had that another year, and so we don't have that in our lesson book uh, this year. So here we have uh, the story of Palm Sunday, the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, and it begins, or this happens on the 10th day of the month of Nisan in the Hebrew calendar. And this is very important, well, this is very uh, pivotal too, because the 10th of Nisan is when God told the Israelites that they were supposed to choose the sacrificial lamb. Remember, the Passover is coming up, and uh, they're supposed to choose the, the lamb that they're going to use for the Passover a week before on the 10th of Nisan. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem here is, in, in many ways, God declaring him the chosen sacrificial lamb. Of course, neither the Pharisees nor even the majority of the people, not even the disciples, understand that significance at the time, although later they will. Uh, but Jesus, of course, knows why he's coming into Jerusalem, that he's coming in to die. The journey begins in Bethpage, which is up uh, across from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is, well, especially the temple, uh, which Jerusalem is built around, uh, is built on top of Mount Zion. We, we hear about Mount Zion all the time, right? And then uh, down that mount, it's, it's a little mount, down that mount you have the Kidron Valley, which kind of marks the uh, eastern border of Jerusalem. And then across the Kidron Valley you have uh, Mount of Olives, or Mount Olivet, either one you want to call it. And that's a much bigger mountain than Mount Zion, so probably about three times uh, the size of Mount Zion. 
And up on top of that mount is uh, Bethany and Beth Page, where Jesus begins uh, his journey. So just imagine this whole process is taking place, you know, up on top of that Mount of Olives, and this whole this whole uh, parade, which it really is, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He's coming down this mountain, and everyone in Jerusalem can see this procession as it comes down the Mount of Olives, uh, before it enters, in, before it goes across, or you'll know, probably down through the Kidron Valley and then up into Jerusalem itself. And so this was a very highly, highly visible thing that's going on here well before Jesus gets anywhere near Jerusalem. The whole event might well have taken all day for him to, to come down the mountain and then uh, back up into Jerusalem, especially considering the crowds of people uh, that would have undoubtedly slowed down slowed down the journey. And in fact, Mark, we read in Mark that when he does get into Jerusalem, he kind of looks around and then he goes back to Bethany. Uh, so it kind of implies that, well, yeah, it did take most of the day. It was already late. Mark says straight out it was already late. And so that was kind of like uh, the whole days of events there, just uh, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Uh, when he drew near to Jerusalem, uh, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go in the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, What are you doing this? The Lord, say to them, The Lord has need of it, and they will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they let them go, and they brought the colt to Jesus. So Jesus uses his divine nature here, uh, knowing all things, knows that the, not only that the colt is ready, but that the, the people who happen to own this colt will be happy uh, to let him use it. Of course, he, he's the God of all things. He's doing the Father's will. He, In one sense, he doesn't need their permission to take it, but in another sense, he certainly does because he was a man born under the law. And so he's got to, you know, he's going to fulfill the commandments, keep the commandments, not steal. But he's not stealing here because he knows their willingness uh, to let him use it. And in fact, in a sense, uh, he does get permission from them, right? Because the disciples say, well, the Lord is in need of it. And they say, okay, go ahead. So uh, he's obviously not not stealing here. Uh, Mark just mentions the colt, uh, the foal of the donkey. Uh, some of the other gospel writers mention uh, the donkey itself, and some of them mention it both. Uh, so obviously there was two. There was the mother and the child. It's been <sighs> hypothesized that the, the mother had to be brought because the foal, the colt, was too young to go on its own. Maybe maybe that's why. Maybe there was another reason that, that Jesus wanted them both. I don't, you know, we don't really know. He doesn't really specify. But anyway, there were two of them. And uh, Jesus rode on the colt, the foal, uh, the, the, younger, the younger of the two. But bro, both were undoubtedly brought. Now, much has been said about how this uh, emphasizes his humility. And indeed it does. Uh, the Old Testament prophet uh, tells us that specifically. Behold, uh, your king comes to you lowly, riding on a colt, the f or on a, on a donkey, the foal of a donkey, right? Uh, so we are, we are specifically told that uh, this was an indication of his humility. And so his, his, it reminds us of him uh, taking on, humbling himself and, and becoming man, uh, as, as we learned not that long ago in, in the, uh, the story of him being born in a manger. And so all that he does uh, relates to, by the way, um, relates back to that 
Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9. I was trying to think of the reference, right? Uh, Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. So it does indeed stress both his humanity and his humility. Uh, he doesn't come riding into Jerusalem on a great glamorous beast. And, and his, his entire ministry was like that. He, he came to serve, not to be served, right? The Son of Man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, not to be served. Uh, so even though he's coming as king, he's coming as a true king, a king who serves his people, uh, not a king who demands that all people serve him and, and fulfill his every desire, but, but he's coming to save. And so one of the interesting things throughout this account is to, to consider the difference between the type of king that Jesus is and the type of king that most earthly kings are and what uh, in, and indeed what a what a big difference there is there so the donkey uh, emphasizes his humility but it also emphasizes him as son as, as son of David often also emphasizes that he's taking the throne of David. Both David and Solomon both rode in for their coronation in the same way. So you go back to the Old Testament and read about the coronation of David and Solomon, and you find the same thing happening, them riding in on a donkey. And for the same reason, too, because it, it emphasized that they, even though they were king, they were, they were coming to serve the people. And so both David and Solomon are um, types of Christ, right? They're, they're signs pointing to Christ, and they weren't as good a king as, as Christ was, but they started their reign at least uh, trying uh, to be good kings, to serve the people, uh, to, to remain humble. Uh, Solomon, of course, didn't do a very good job of remaining humble, but uh, in general, he was a pretty good king. But they at least started their, their uh, rules uh, promising to do this and, and trying to do it to the best of their ability. And Jesus does the same thing coming into Jerusalem. So it's not only a, a show of his humility, which is it was, but it's one more link back to that Old Testament prophecy, one more link showing the people that he had indeed come as the son of David, as the king of Israel. Now, in this section, uh, we hear that uh, when they went to take the colt, the people did indeed uh, ask them, what are you doing? And, and But then they gladly let Jesus take it. And, uh, you know, that's, there's a lesson there for us. Um, what does Jesus have need of from us? And, of course, Jesus is true God. He almighty creator of the world. In, in one sense, he needs nothing from us. But uh, in his grace and mercy, he allows us to participate in the ministry of the gospel through the gifts that we give to him. Uh, he he accepts the gifts from us much like a parent accepts the the gifts that a you know kindergartner or first grader makes for them. Uh, from any objective standpoints, those pictures that uh, the the first grader draws for the, their parents are are worthless, right? <laughs> and anything that the the first grader tries to make to their parents isn't something the parents really need. There's there's nothing a first grader has that uh, a parent couldn't easily get for themselves. But uh, nevertheless, a parent, you know, delights to receive those and, and hangs those pictures up in, in a place of honor on the fridge. And my wife has Kaylee's uh, drawings hung up all around our living room on a, on a string. Um, and we, we love those things because we love our children and because they did those things, uh, you know, out of love for us. And we accept it. And in much the same way, Jesus accepts gifts from us and uses them. Uh, for the growth of his kingdom. Uh, so what does what does Jesus... Jesus needed a donkey here, and these people are happy to, to give it to them. What does Jesus need from us or ask from us? What can we give uh, that Jesus can use for that ministry, for that proclamation of the gospel, like what was going on here? 
So then Jesus heads down that Mount of Olives on uh, that donkey. And as he heads down the mountain, the people hear that he's coming and come out from Jerusalem to meet him. So the crowd, uh, Luke actually tells us specifically that the crowd was gathering, you know, even before he came down very far out of Bethany. And so that I referenced that before this whole thing. It's not just like for a few um, few feet before he enters Jerusalem or, or in Jerusalem itself. But uh, this, this procession begins right on the top of Mount Olives and goes all the way down the Mount of Olives and then into Jerusalem and probably into Jerusalem for a, a little ways as well. And they're spreading their cloaks on the road, uh, you know, sign of honor, sign of prestige. Uh, we're, we're not going to let even the, the steed of our king uh, trot on the dirty, dirty road, but we're going to lay something down. Of course, um, the, the, old um, idea of a gentleman laying down his cloak for the, you know, the, his lady to walk a, across a dirty, you know, dirty spot of the street. You lay down your cloak so the woman can walk across without getting your feet dirty. Well, here they're not even letting the, the steed, the donkey that the, the king is riding on get its, its hooves dirty uh, in honoring the king. And also palm branches, waving palm branches and laying those down as well. And this, again, was another indication that the people were indeed calling him the king, the son of David. They recognized him as the Messiah. The palm branch was a nationalistic symbol of um, of. Israel. So it would be much, much like, it would be a lot like if if some politician were coming to our town and we were laying flags down, uh, you know, lining the road with American flags or um, got a bunch of bald eagles or something, right? These palm branches are a, a nationalistic symbol of Israel. And so they are indeed honoring him. They're not just honoring him as a prophet, but they are indeed calling him their king and, and making that that very clear. And of course, they're calling out Hosanna to the son of David, again, calling him the son of David, calling him the king of, king of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The, uh, what they're saying here, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It comes right out of Psalm 118, uh, verses 25 to 26. Uh, they recognized it as pertaining to the coming of the Messiah. And so they, they say it now with the coming of the Messiah. The word Hosanna means save us. It's uh, the Aramaic form of a Hebrew word, uh, which means save us now, bring us salvation. One of the interesting things, though, is what did they mean by that? Uh, Jesus, of course, had come for that very purpose, to save them. However, did the crowd really mean the same thing when they were shouting, save us, as what Jesus had come to do? Uh, it's very evident that many in the crowd wanted him to save them in a nationalistic sense, to lead an army against Rome, to save the nation of Israel. And of course, that's not the type of salvation that Christ came to bring. He came to bring salvation from our sins. So even though they are they are applying the psalm correctly to Jesus, as it should have been. And even though they all are correctly, have mercy on us, save us, uh, you, you know, the Messiah has come to save us, what they're saying is correct. What they mean by what they're saying is not quite so correct. But even the disciples didn't uh, understand that. And uh, that was something that, that both the disciples and the crowds had to learn uh, later on. So uh, they linked Jesus correctly to the son of David, uh, the king, but uh, they didn't really understand what type of salvation uh, he was coming to bring. So they entered into Jerusalem, and that's kind of, in Mark, that's kind of where it ends, of course, that they enter into Jerusalem. He looks around, he goes back, and the, the next day he comes back for the 
driving the money changers out of Israel. Luke gives us a little bit more information. Uh, specifically, Luke tells us that some of the Pharisees in the crowd, and I'm reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So the Pharisees, to some degree, uh, are doing their job here. They were the, the religious leaders of Israel. And they were supposed to oversee, you know, all religious activity. Uh, from their point of view, they don't believe that he is the Messiah, right? So from their point of view, this is really wrong. This is blasphemous. And uh, they figure, well, you know, even Jesus, you know, this prophet, he's not, he, you know, he's doing a lot of things wrong. But even he is not going to accept uh, the people, you know, blaspheme God by calling him the Messiah. And so they make this this plea for him to stop what they see as, as a very, very wrong thing to do. But of course, Jesus knows the truth of that what the crowds was saying was correct and that the time had come for that proclamation to be made. Uh, you remember earlier in his ministry, Jesus had told the disciples and, and others as well, tell no one, tell no one uh, that I am the Messiah. He, he didn't want that news spread abroad then, because of the misconception of the Jews and because of the anger and the hatred of the Pharisees. The time had not yet come for his death. And so uh, that, that proclamation of him as the Messiah was muted for, for, for a little bit, for some degree, uh, not because Jesus didn't want people to know that he was the Messiah, but because the, the, the right time uh, had not yet come. But now the time had come uh, it needs to be proclaimed before his death. The people need to know who he is and what he had come to do. And so uh, God ordained that at this point he would ride into Jerusalem and be proclaimed the king of Israel. And therefore Jesus tells the Pharisees, if these people didn't do it, even the very rocks would cry out because this this proclamation will be made at this point. Um and so, and so indeed it was as God ordained all things uh, happen. Uh, and so it was that Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, to die for our sins. One of the things I forgot to mention is, of course, the fact that uh, even though Jesus is sitting on a donkey, it's a donkey that has never been used by anyone else. And so there's kind of the twofold message there. I am coming in a humble way. But I am coming as your holy savior, right? The, the animal that has never been used for any other purpose. That was very important in sacrifices to the temple. Uh, and so it was a proclamation of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb of the lamb who was clean without, without blot or, 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 you know, blemish. And uh, so he's riding a, an animal appropriate uh, for one who is clean and holy uh, to come into Jerusalem to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. That might be, by the way, why he, he rode on the colt instead of on the, the, the older donkey, the mother donkey, uh, because the mother donkey probably, you know, had been used before. But again, why the mother donkey was brought along at all, it doesn't really say. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem as our king. He rides as a, in, in humble manner. Uh, he rides to serve, not to be served. Uh, he rides to die. He rides to sacrifice. 
Uh, he, he is victorious over our enemies, not by leading large armies into battle, uh, not by force or by, by viciousness, right? Uh, but he is victorious by offering himself as a sacrifice for sins. And through that sacrifice, through that humility that led him to ride into Jerusalem to die, through that sacrifice which he offered for our sins, uh, he was victorious and led his people, us, out of sin and death and into eternal life. We so often, you know, law and gospel in this story, uh, we so often seek uh, to get what we think we deserve through political means or through violent or uh, through armies or through power of some other kind, or seek to do what we think is right through those same means, through political power or or through through violent power, one of those two, uh, that's how sinful man seeks to accomplish our will and, and, and to do what we think is right. But Jesus uh, accomplished and established his kingdom and his throne as king and was victorious over his enemies, not through force, but through sacrifice and through humility. He died uh, so that we can live. Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson this week. Hopefully we won't uh, have any problem with uh, snow. As always, uh, feel free to call me or email me if you have any questions. Take care. We'll see you next week.